How many of you like candy? Oh, I see even more hands. So, kids, I have both for you this morning. So, kids, if you want to come forward, we have a story time and candy at the front. So, kids, come on down here and meet me down here. I want to read you something. You'll get the candy when you go back to your seats in just a minute. So, come on down, kids. Come on down here with me. Y'all can sit down here on the steps or right in front with me here. I got a story for you guys. And moms and dad, if they're nervous, you're welcome to come sit on the front row with them if that would help. You guys want to squeeze in down here? Y'all come on in? I want y'all to be able to see the book. Okay. All right, boys and girls, Merry Christmas. Okay, I want to read you a story called The Christmas Promise, okay? You ready? And I'll give you sugar in just a minute for you to take back to your parents and just after you, after you sit still with me for a minute first. So this, this is called A Christmas Promise, boys and girls. Listen up. A long, long time ago, so long ago that it's hard to imagine, God promised a new king. He was not going to be an ordinary king like the ones we've seen on TV or in books. He would be different. He would be a new king. He would be a rescuing king. And he would be a forever king. And do you know what? One precious night, God kept his promise. Would you like to know how he did it? Yeah? The Christmas story starts with an angel. Whoosh! He came from God to see Mary. And the angel had a special message. Mary... You're going to have a baby. He will be a special baby. God promises that your baby is going to be king. Not just for a little time, but forever and forever. He will be the forever king, the eternal king. Can you guys say eternal king? Eternal king. Eternal king, yeah. Mary was going to marry Joseph. So God sent another angel. Whoosh! He came to see Joseph. And this angel had a special message. Mary is going to have a special baby, the angel said to Joseph. Her baby is going to be king. And he will rescue his people. He will be a rescuing king. Can y'all say rescuing king? Rescuing king. Good job. Now, God had promised that his new king would be born in a little city called Bethlehem. And that's where Mary and Joseph went. But Bethlehem was very, very busy with lots and lots of people. So when the baby was born, he had to sleep in a manger instead of a bed. All the other mangers in Bethlehem held food for hungry animals to eat. But this manger held a tiny baby. He was God's special new king. The shepherds in the fields had such a surprise. It was quiet. It was dark. And the sheep were sleeping. When whoosh, an angel popped in the sky. Now the sky was bright and the shepherds were so, so scared. But the angel had a special message for them also. Don't be afraid. I have wonderful good news for you, the angel said. God's chosen king has been born tonight. He is going to rescue his people just as God promised. He will be the rescuing king. Can y'all say rescuing king again? Rescuing king. Good. Then lots and lots of other angels joined in to celebrate. The shepherds were really excited. They went rushing to see the new king. And there he was lying in a manger just like the angel said. But they were the only ones who had heard the good news about the promised king. Some wise men were living far, far, far away. They had also been sent a message. It was quiet and dark and they were watching the stars when whoosh! A new star popped into the sky. The star had a special message, and the wise men knew what it meant. So a very special king had been born. The new king for all of God's people. The child was the promised king. And the wise men were so excited, so they went on a long, 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 long journey to see the new king. And there he was, just as the star had shown them. Everything God promised came true. There are lots and lots of different kings in the world, but God sent the greatest king of all. 
He sent a new king. Can y'all say new king? New king. He sent a rescuing king. Can y'all sing, say rescuing king? Rescuing king. And he sent a forever eternal king. Can you say eternal king? Eternal king. Very good. And do you know what this king's name was? Jesus. Jesus. Very good, boys and girls. So let's review real quick. So this was a new king, and this king was eternal. Does anyone know what eternal means? Forever. Forever, yeah. Forever and ever and ever. So 10 million years ago, Jesus was king. And 10 trillion years from now, Jesus will still be king. He's the eternal king. Can you say eternal king again? Eternal king. Great. But the eternal king came on a mission. He came to rescue us. Who knows what it means to rescue? What does it mean to rescue? So we can be safe. Yeah, there's some danger or harm, and we're spiritually in danger. And so Jesus came to rescue us. To so say rescuing king again. So here, here's a sermon for the morning. See if y'all can say with me, Jesus is the eternal king who came to rescue us. That's a lot. Can y'all do it? Jesus is the eternal king who came to rescue us. Absolutely. So now let's see if your parents are listening. Can y'all say it? Jesus is the eternal king who came to rescue us. Okay, how about kids and parents? Let's say it all together. Jesus is the eternal king who came to rescue us. Great job, boys and girls. So, Miss Molly's got um, candy canes for you. So, if you will grab some sugar on your way back to your parents, and you can eat it in church. Yes, you're welcome to have sugar in church. So, run to Miss Molly on the way back, and you can have sugar through the rest of the church service. Now we'll see how many emails I get from parents this week for giving your kids sugar in church, right? So parents, while the kids are getting their sugar for the rest of the morning, if you want to be turning to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, that's where we're going to see the very thing we were just talking about with the boys and girls, that Jesus is the eternal king who came to rescue us. Because I want you to see this directly from God's Word. So Colossians chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verses 15 through 20. While you're getting to Colossians chapter 1, let me just give you some background. If you can remember back to five weeks ago, which for me seems like a long time, because five Sundays ago was my first Sunday as your pastor. And so last five weeks have been kind of a blur, but a great blur. But five weeks ago for my first sermon, I preached from Colossians chapter 1. And we'll see the first 14 verses of Colossians. Well, we're picking back up now with verse 15 tonight as we see something that's very or this morning that's very appropriate for Christmas. Some background on the book of Colossians in case you missed five weeks ago or like me have forgotten a lot of what happened the last five weeks. Colossians is a book written by Paul with Timothy aside to the church in Colossae. Just remind you Colossae was a great city that it waned. But the church there was strong. The church was healthy. It was a, a church that was well established, well founded in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we don't know exactly what it was, but there was some danger, some threat facing the church, some type of false teaching. And so Paul writes to the church at Colossae to correct this false teaching. What better way to correct error than to focus people on the centrality of Christ, his supremacy, his reign, his rule. And that's what's happening. When we come here to starting in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, we get some of the most Christ-centered verses in all of Scripture. And what better place on Christmas morning than to look at this glorious truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because I think, like I mentioned if you were here last night, it's easy at the Christmas time to focus on Christ as the baby in the manger. And that's comfortable for us. That's safe. A baby in the manger doesn't threaten us. But what that baby came to do does. Because what the baby came to do shows us that we're sinners. Shows us that we can't save ourselves and that we need God's intervention 
in our lives. And so that safe baby in the manger, when he grows up, begins to threaten a lot of our postmodern sensibilities in this. And so I want you to see this morning from Colossians 1 that Jesus did not just come to be a cute baby or to give us a nice nativity set or just a nice you know, Christmas song. He came to be the eternal king who came to rescue us. So as we get to Colossians 1, be listening in this. And just some background on these particular verses. This was an early hymn of the church. We, as best we believe, what I'm going to read to you, the church sang. And don't worry, I'm not going to attempt to sing it to you this morning. But it was what that we believe the church actually sang as a song. And so it's two stanzas of it. As we begin it, listen for how Christ is the eternal king. Listen for how he's described in terms of his creative work to see that he's eternal. He has no beginning or no end. He's the king who's always existed. Jesus did not begin in the manger. Jesus has always existed and always will. So listen in the first stanza for how he's the eternal king. But then listen in the second stanza of it. It starts around verse 18 or so for how he is the rescuing king. Listen for how he's described and what he came to do. So I'm going to be reading out the English Standard Version. It'll be up on the screen or you can find it in your copy of God's Word or in your Bible app. But I ask you to stand right now in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1. If you'll just follow along as I read out loud for us. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that you've given us your word. God, that you've not left us without revelation. You've not left us wondering who you are or who we are or what it means to know you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us out of your kindness to us. God, I pray this morning that your word would come alive to us, even on this Christmas morning. Lord, as our minds can be in so many different directions, I pray this morning that your word would come alive to us and change us, that you would help us better understand, Lord Jesus, that you are the eternal king and that you came to rescue us. And may we worship you for all that you've done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, we're going to see how Jesus is the eternal king and how he's the rescuing king. And so we start here in the first stanza, which is verses 15 through 17, that really establishes the fact for us that Jesus is God. Yes, Jesus was a cute baby in a manger, I'm sure, but that's not the main thing. He's God. He's the eternal king. Yes, Jesus taught us good things, but he wasn't primarily a good teacher. He's God. He's the king. Yes, he was an example for us, but that wasn't the main thing. He is God. He is the eternal king. And the one we celebrate this Christmas morning is the eternal God. So look back at verse 15, this first phrase. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Image in the Greek means manifestation. That Jesus is the visible representation for us of the invisible God. When we see him, we have seen God. It means he's the exact representation and the very presence of God. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, that he is Emmanuel, God, with us. And when we start in just two weeks the Gospel of John, you're going to see this throughout the Gospel of John. You're going to see the beginning of John's Gospel where Jesus came, tells us he came to make known the Father. We'll see it later in John 14 when he says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is God in human flesh, God becoming visible. But notice how he's also described in verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God, then the firstborn of all creation. Now, when we hear firstborn, this, we think of biological order of children and stuff. But that's not really what this is about. This is 
a Jewish concept of birthright. If you study the Old Testament and look at the idea of birthright, this is kind of what this comes from. It's the idea that all that belongs to the Father has been passed on to him. That he now has received from the Father the right to rule over all that belongs to the King, which is everything. That Jesus has, as the firstborn of all creation, received from the Father the inherited right to rule over, with sovereign rule over all of creation. Again, it reminds us that he is the eternal king. But in case we miss it, Paul goes on. Look at verse 16 to help us understand that Jesus is the eternal king. Verse 16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Again, it reminds us that Jesus did not begin at Christmas Day in the manger. That Jesus has always existed. There's three phrases here to help us get that. And depending on your translation, it may read differently. But it's by him, through him, and for him. By him literally should be translated in him. This means that creation happened first in his mind. That Christ is the one whose creativity brought the created order into being. Yes, the Father willed it. But the Father let Christ create it. So why are there puffer fish with little spikes on them? Well, Jesus imagined it and wanted it. You know, why is there, you know, Spanish moss on our trees out there? Well, Jesus thought that was cool and he came up with it. Why did we have what we have? Because Jesus is creative. And so the Father willed creation to let the Son in him, in his mind, to detail what creation would look like. Christ is the imagination and the power behind the, the beauty of this world. So in him, or in him, by him. second phrase is through him. In this verse 16 here, it came about through him. This means because of his work. Everything we know, everything in creation came about through his power, his creative work. And it uses the phrases things visible and things invisible. Everything we see in creation was brought about by the power of Christ's hands, by his spoken word. And even things we can't see, like angels. You have this phrase in here, the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. These were Jewish expressions to refer to angels. Everything, even the angels themselves, came about through the creative power of Christ. But then before we miss it, the very last phrase of verse 16, it is for him. Jesus didn't make this world primarily for us. He made it for himself. For his honor, his praise, he is the goal, he is, is for his glory. So we think about Christ, he's the eternal king who imagined creation, willed it through the power of his spoken word, and did it so that he might be worshipped. Well, the emphasis on Jesus as eternal continues. Look at verse 17. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. Again, this is now your time reference, that before the world was made, Jesus existed. Before Christmas morning happened, Jesus was there. Before the world came into being, Jesus was there. Jesus has always existed. He is eternal king and always will be. But this is not just past tense. This is future tense as well. Notice again in verse 17. And in him all things hold together. The one who made it sustains it. The reason that we woke up and our hearts are beating this morning and the world is not spinning out of control and gravity didn't quit working and all those things didn't stop happening is because Jesus is sustaining this world that he made. He is still the eternal king, and he's still doing so, according to Hebrews 1.3, by the word of his power. And so we see that Jesus is not just the baby in the manger. He is the eternal king who made everything and is sustaining everything to the end of time. But we also see what this king came to do. This king came to rescue us. We see that in the second stanza here in verses 18 through 20. And we typically think of Christmas, the dawning of kind of redemptive history here, this is what Christ came to do. Look back at verses 18, 19, and 20. This is what Jesus came to do. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, and here's the important one, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what did the eternal king come to do? He came to rescue us, what the boys and girls were saying earlier. He came on a rescue mission for us. And the word here is to reconcile. And if you need something reconciled, that presumes that something is awfully wrong. You don't go reconcile with a friend unless you're estranged from them. You don't reconcile with a family member unless you're estranged from them. The fact that Jesus came to reconcile assumes the fact there's something going awfully wrong in God's creation. And that is we, the people made to know him and worship him, are estranged from him, not because of anything on his part, but because of our own sin, because of our own rebellion, because we've shaken our fist at God and said, not your way, God, but mine. And Christ came to take this broken relationship and bring peace, not a subjective feeling of peace, but the peace of a restored relationship with our creator. Peace between us and God. The peace that takes enemies and makes them God's friend. The peace that takes people far off and brings them near. It's not just though us, all creation is in view. Friends, when sin came in the world, all of creation felt the curse. And all of creation is groaning under the weight of the curse. And this is the peace that Christ is, is making through. And one day the whole creation is restored when Christ comes back to where there is no more sin. No more struggles, no more pain, and all the world is as God designed it to be. But for that to happen, that couldn't be accomplished with just a baby in a manger being a nice moral teacher and then dying. That's not why Jesus came. To reconcile the world, to make things right, to bring peace, it took, like it said here in verse 20, it took him making peace by what? The blood of his cross. The blood of his cross. So we can't stop at Christmas with the Christmas story. It has to go into what we celebrate at Easter. That that is a pivotal point in history. Because as Hebrews 9 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. A nice baby in a manger cannot forgive sins. It would take a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, so that we might be forgiven. And so Christ was born to die, but Christ was born, like you saw the video, to rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that if Christ did not rise, our faith is futile. And we are in our sins. So realize the Christmas story cannot, be stand, cannot stand apart. It has to be tied to Christ's death and tied to his resurrection so that we might have peace with God. And there's a reminder of this as well for us in verse 18, though we can lose the signs in the imagery. He is the firstborn from the dead. This, is, this means he's the most important resurrection ever, that he rose victorious. He's the preeminent one in all of history. But something else bears mentioning out of these verses right here. The eternal king who came to rescue us. Notice that he did not do so begrudgingly. And I've mentioned this several times throughout this Christmas season. But I think it bears mentioning. We talked about it when we talked about hope, peace, joy, love. And even as we look at the Christ candle. God did these things with joy. Not with a shrug. Not with a hesitation. Like, oh man, those people are a pain. I wonder what I'm going to do to make things right. He did it with joy. Look back at verse 19 here. Verse 19, this is amazing. For in him, this is Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Don't miss that word. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God, this means the total measure of God. That Jesus was fully God and fully man. It wasn't like he was part God. He was fully God coming as a human baby. And this plan for God to come in human flesh, to live a perfect life, to satisfy the law that we couldn't fulfill, to die on a cruel Roman cross for the forgiveness of our sins, to rise victorious, that plan was not some plan B. That plan was not God shrugging his shoulders going, well, there's no other way to do it, so I guess I'll do it that way. This was the plan that pleased him 
that God was pleased. Anytime you see the word pleased in Scripture, it shows God's pleasure with right actions. You see it at Jesus' baptism, the pleasure of the Father. You see this transfiguration, and you see it described here in this, that God the Father delighted in sending God the Son in human flesh to live a perfect life, to fulfill the law, to die for our sins, and to rise victorious. That pleased the Father to do that. And it pleased the Son to do that as well. That Christ told, we see in Hebrews 12, that Christ said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so the Christmas story is not a story of a begrudging father trying to figure out how to fix a broken world. It's a story of a joyous father sending his son who came in joy to do what we could not do so that he could rescue us from our sins, to reconcile us, to bring peace back. But one last thing that bears mentioning here, he didn't come to rescue us and then leave us on our own, to our own devices here. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. This idea of head, he came to be our Lord. He came to be our head. He came to not just save me from my sin and leave me out isolated, or save you from your sin and leave you isolated, but to bring us together as a people who together collectively love him, a people that he will collectively lead and sustain and guide and direct. And so realize that just as he sustains his creation, he's still sustaining us today as well. So let this Christmas be a reminder to us that Jesus is not just a baby in the manger. He is the eternal king, the one who created and spoke the world into being, the one who, by the word of his power, sustains everything, but the one who came to bring hope, peace, joy, and love, to bring this to the world, to bring this to you and to me so that we could be reconciled to him. He came to rescue us because we could not rescue us ourselves. And so, friends, this Christmas season, I want to encourage you, if you are in Christ, to take heart today. I know a lot of you carry a lot of burdens and have a lot of trials and a lot of difficulties but the one who spoke the world into being and sustains it is the same one who knows you by name and sustaining you as well. The one who speaks and storms stop. The one who speaks and creation came about. The one who speaks and the dead come forth is the same one who speaks now and is sustaining you now and holding you now. This is the same Christ. But for those of you who are not in Christ, I challenge you this Christmas season, look at what Christ came to do. It's not just a story of a baby in a manger. It's not just a story of some songs you like on the radio. It's a story, the reminder, that we were so utterly helpless, we could not get to God. No matter how much good we did, we could not get to God. No matter how, nothing could get us to God. We were so helpless that Christ had to come make a way. So let this Christmas be a call for you to come find the Christ who can bring hope, peace, joy, and love to you. Because he is the eternal king who came to rescue us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for this Christmas season. Father, we're thankful for a special time we have with family, with friends. We are thankful for so many just of your grace gifts that we experience during this season. Or whether it is time with family and friends, whether it's the music that brings back good memories, or, or even seeing the nativity scenes. Or there's so much that can get associated with this, and we're thankful for that. Lord, I pray in my own heart and the hearts of these friends today, God, that you would remind us what Christmas really is. It's a story of the eternal king coming to rescue a helpless people. And God, would you make us worshipful? Would you make us thankful for what you've done? Coming as Emmanuel, God with us. That we might be experience peace with you because of the blood of the cross. And Father, there's anyone in this room who's never trusted in Christ. Father, what better time than this Christmas season for them to come to understand 
that the hope their heart longs for, the joy their heart longs for, the love that they long for, the peace they long for can only be found and met in Christ and knowing their creator and knowing the one who created the world and created them. So if there's anyone here who does not know you, I pray that you might stir their heart today afresh to realize their need of you and they might cry out and look to you, O Christ, to be their savior, their redeemer, their Lord. Lord, even in these recent, these last four or five weeks as I've been here, getting to know and hear people's stories, Lord, my heart is filled with gratitude for how your grace is at work in the lives of the people of Gateway. Father, to hear how you've gloriously saved them, to hear how you have sustained them, and just to what we've seen in Colossians 1, to see how you have continually sustained them and upheld them through difficult times. Lord, it's filled my heart with joy. And I pray you'd remind each one of them today, wherever they're at, whether it's an easy day or a hard day, whether their hearts are full of joy or even sadness, would you give them grace to fix their eyes on Christ this day? To see how beautiful you are, O oh Lord. See how glorious you are and realize that you will satisfy, that you are holding them, that you are sustaining them. And may you flood their hearts with hope this Christmas season. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.